And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. And, and maybe I shouldn't say it's just another week. This is the first week in a post-Roe era. Did you hear that? It is the first week in a post-Roe era. I've been doing this show for seven years, which is insane to me. Seven years we've been doing this show. And for seven years, I've been talking about the work of Hope Resource Center, the work of the pro-life movement, uh, the atrocity that is abortion, seeking to see Roe overturned. And we are here. <laughs> we, we're actually living in a historical moment. Roe was overturned on Friday. Now, before I get into all of that, which we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited to, to, to discuss that with you, if you want to learn more about hope, you can at investinghope.com. If you want to learn more about this show, you can listen to the show live every Tuesday at uh, 5 o'clock on Joy 620, or you can listen to the podcast at investinghope.com, Podbeam, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show, but Friday morning, Friday morning last week, June 24th, 2022. I'm standing at my desk because I don't sit at my desk anymore. I have this, uh, it's very awkward, but I just stand there. And because I'm a nerd, I'm, I'm scrolling through the SCOTUS blog, which is great if you're into those type of things. And they, every time the Supreme Court releases decisions, they have a running message board so you can keep up with everything that's going on. And I've been doing that for the last few weeks, waiting for the Dobbs case out of Mississippi to be released. And I've been telling everybody, and I, I told uh, I told everybody last week, I told my mom, I told the staff, I told friends, you know, they would reach out and say, hey, do you think this is going to be the day? And I would say, no, I think, I think the court's going to wait till the last day of the session to release the Dobbs decision. But Friday, when I left home, something, I just had this feeling. And even in that feeling, I still, I talked to my mom on Friday morning and I told her, I don't think it's going to be today. But before I left on Friday, I grabbed a shirt and tie. And I took it to work with me because I just had this feeling if the Dobbs case was released, I might get some phone calls from some local media. And so I took the shirt and tie with me. And then around, I don't know, 10, 15, 10, 30 Eastern time, I'm scrolling through and the Dobbs case was released and it went exactly the way we thought it was going to go. It was pretty much identical to the leaked draft that was leaked uh, a couple months ago, Alito was the, the main drafter in the majority opinion. And ultimately, it was a 5-4 decision. It was uh, not to get into the weeds. You had three voting no. You had Roberts voting in concurrence. And you had uh, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett all voting to not simply rule in favor of Mississippi, but specifically to say Roe and Casey must go, and there is no constitutional authority to allow for abortion. So what it did, it didn't outlaw abortion. A lot of people are saying, oh, this outlawed abortion. No, no, it didn't. It simply took it back to the states. And so I wrote, uh, I wrote something, and, and I want to start with that because I, it's kind of a, a statement on what this means uh, for the pro-life movement. Uh, and here's, here's what I said. The moment millions have waited for, fought for, and prayed for has finally arrived. Last Friday, the Supreme Court of the United States officially overturned Roe v. Wade. Even saying that is, uh, is amazing. Uh, 
This decision marks a moment in history that few expected to see in our lifetimes. The atrocity that is abortion was cultivated, expanded, and normalized via a wrong-headed court decision in 1973. This wrong-headedness polarized our society as the debate over abortion transitioned from a state and local issue to a federal and national one. Friday's ruling doesn't undo the unbelievable loss of life we have seen over the past 50 years, but it does right a wrong that left millions of lives in its wake. I applaud the justices for their sound and constitutional decision to do the hard and right thing in the, con- in the context of a very vitriolic and polarized populace. Our work is not complete, and there will be plenty of time in the coming days to discuss how we are to operate and serve in a post-Row era. But today, we must reflect, celebrate, and rejoice that we are one step closer to seeing abortion be unthinkable. Now, make me no mistake, today's or Friday's ruling is historical and will be discussed in the history books for decades to come. And I have no doubt that these discussions will include the church, advocacy groups, and politicians, but this discussion will not be an honest one if it does not include multiple chapters on those that founded, operated, and implemented pregnancy centers all across this country. These men and women sacrificed, worked long hours, and stood strong in a time where standing strong in opposition to abortion was not welcomed. I find it refreshing to know that the day before, so last Thursday, Hope was serving patients in need, just like we were 25 years ago. And then Friday, when the decision was made, Hope was serving patients. And guess what? Today, Hope is serving patients. And although we celebrate today, we will get up again and again and again and continue the work we are called to as we love and serve those in our community that are in need. I am thankful for days like this. I'm grateful for a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm honored to serve at Hope with you as we serve image bearers in our city. Friday's decision didn't happen overnight. A lot of work occurred in a lot of different ways to get us to this point, and so we celebrate. We celebrate what happened with the overturning of Roe. Now, now I've, I've been talking about this for quite some time and the importance of it and what it means and, and how we got here. And, and, and I think at times as believers and as pro-lifers, we, we have this sense of we, we can't take a moment to celebrate. Look, I'm not telling you to gloat. I'm not telling you to kind of take a victory lap or rub it in people's faces. None of that. What I'm saying is if we believe that abortion is an atrocity and ends the life of a human, it is okay now to say we are one step closer to the right direction. It is okay to sit back and go that which what we, that, that which we fought for, for 50 years. We've climbed that mountain and we saw Roe fall. That's what we wanted. And we've already seen the immediate impact. Last Friday, the immediate impact, you you have Missouri becoming the first state in the union to outlaw abortion. You have all the abortion clinics in Kentucky closed. Abortion clinics in Arkansas close, and the list goes on and on and on. In the state of Tennessee, if you're listening and you're local, the state of Tennessee, we have a trigger law in place that 30 days from Friday will go into effect, which uh, for all intents and purposes outlaws abortion. Now, we also have a heartbeat bill that that a, a judge put a stay on, and now our attorney general and folks are fighting to get that put in place. So at the very least, in 30 days, abortion will be outlawed in the state of Tennessee, if not before. 
And so this is a monumental historical moment. And you're going to hear a lot of folks. You're going to hear a lot of folks say, well, this is terrible. This is taking women back a hundred years. This is taking our country back a hundred years. Actually, it, if it's taking anything back, it's about 50 years, but it's not taking us back. It's putting us where we should be. You see, before Roe was enacted, before Roe was enacted, what we had, well, there was like four states in the union that, that allowed abortion at all, or that allowed abortion deep into a pregnancy. Four states. And then a court decision was made in 1973, and that four went to 50. Is that what the people wanted? So we took a state and local issue, and we made it a national and federal one, and we polarized the populace even more, raising a generation up to say, some lives have more value than others. And yes, the Supreme Court set a precedent in that moment. In my opinion, it was the wrong precedent, but it set a precedent. It, it pulled the right to abortion out of thin air because you're not going to find it in the Constitution. It pulled it out of thin air. And so you've had a lot of people. Former President Obama over the weekend said that the court made a mistake by, by going against stare decisis, by going against precedent. You do realize when, when a court makes a mistake, we as a populace should want them to right that wrong. Like precedent is, is all well and good, but if the precedent set was a wrong one and was unconstitutional, should we not then desire that the court will right that wrong? And there's been liberal judges, liberal attorneys pro-abortion justices and attorneys that have said over the years that was a wrong decision in 1973 from a constitutional standpoint. If they want abortion, they're either going to have to codify it within their state laws or they're going to have to add an actual constitutional amendment. That's what they're going to have to do. You're not going to get the votes on the House and Senate it's got to be a constitutional amendment. They're going to have to go further with that now. And what we're seeing is, is we finally reached a place where, where Roe is no more the law of the land. And so now states are moving to correct these things. So you'll have pro-life states that outlaw abortion. You'll have pro-abortion states that allow for abortion up to nine months. And then you'll have states that are somewhere in the middle where they'll, they'll restrict abortion at 12 weeks or 15 weeks or 20 weeks or, or whatever they decide. But folks that are arguing as if the populace wants abortion on demand anytime during the pregnancy, that's nonsense. There's not one poll that shows that. Now, now some of the polls that you're seeing is, well, do you think Roe should be overturned? You know, people say no. There's no nuance there. What they should be asking, and when they ask these questions, those polls change, is, hey, do you think a baby in the womb at eight months, completely healthy, should be aborted? The vast majority of the populace is going to say no. 
So, so as we get to this conversation, as we get to the discourse that we want to have in our, in our nation, if we can even have a discourse in, in our current political climate, we are fighting for the most vulnerable. You know, I talked to somebody over the weekend and they said, I'm just nervous that, that with the chaos that we're seeing in our country, this was a bad time to do this. And my response to them was this. The right thing is the right thing, even in chaotic times. The right thing is the right thing, regardless of the times we find ourselves in. That's how I want to raise my kids. That's how my parents raised me. That's how my grandparents taught me. You do the right thing no matter what. And so the, the court last Friday, did the right thing, even in a chaotic situation that we find ourselves in as a nation. They knew what could come of this. Kavanaugh knew that a man wanted to assassinate him. They knew death threats were going to come their way. They knew their home addresses were going to be released. It, it would have been easy for these justices to go, look, this just isn't the time to do it, and, and kick the can down the road. That would have been easy. But they knew what they signed up for. And they did the right thing in a very difficult situation. And they should be applauded for that. The right thing is the right thing. And abortion certainly isn't the right thing. So as, as we talk today, Again, for the first time on this show, we are talking in a post-Roe era. It's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. When we come back, I want to kind of get into the weeds of what this case means and why changing precedent and going against precedent is not that big a deal. It's something that we've done before. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. We'll talk about it when we come back. So there's so much I want to cover today and, and I don't have I don't have hour after hour after hour to do this. The, the station for whatever reason didn't let me do a marathon show where I just take up the whole, you know, 8 to 5 I mean, maybe if I'd asked, maybe they would have. And if I'd have paid, they probably said, yeah, you can take as much time <laughs> as much time as you want. But but I do want to cover a couple things because there, there's going to be a lot of questions surrounding this court decision. So this segment, what I want to do is is look at what precedent means and why overturning precedent or stare decisis, why doing that isn't so uncommon. It doesn't happen all the time, but it certainly has happened in the past in our country. And I mentioned that the, the former president, Barack Obama, over the weekend in his statement, talked about precedent. And he talked about the importance of precedent and why we shouldn't overturn precedent when it comes to court decisions. There's a great piece over at the public discourse that goes into the detail why this matters. And it says, in the annals of Supreme Court history, there are surprisingly few truly great cases Hugely significant, magnificently correct, principled, courageous decisions vindicating the Constitution. One thinks, of course, of Brown v. Board of Education, the 1954 decision 
unanimously repudiating Plessy versus Ferguson's longstanding but atrocious constitutional doctrine of separate but equal that endorsed uh, Brown restored the Constitution's original meaning of equal protection of the laws. That government may not classify, segregate, or discriminate among classes of citizens on the basis of race ever. Brown rejected segregation, launched the civil rights era, and transformed American society. Guess what? Brown versus Board of Education was 58 years after Plessy versus Ferguson. So precedent was set for over 50 years, and the court decided to make a turn. And what that turn did was begin the civil rights era where, where our black brothers and sisters were given the rights they so deserved as American citizens. And we celebrate the overturning of the precedent that was set in Plessy versus Ferguson. Almost equally magnificent is Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company versus Sawyer, the court's 1952 decision invalidating President Harry Truman's unconstitutional seizure of the nation's steel mills during the Korean War. Youngstown vindicated the fundamental principle that the president, even during time of war, is not a dictator or lawmaker, but is instead constrained by the rule of law. The significance of that holding can be measured by the consequences that had the decision gone the other way. Imagine, since 1952, American presidents had been conceded the power to impose binding legal commands affecting private rights by simple executive decree, yet the case presented that risk. The 6-3 majority rose to the challenge and ruled against the president, setting a vital, correct, and enduring precedent. Again, making the right decision was always the right thing to do. Then there's West Virginia State of Board of Education versus Barnett, the court's inspirational 1943 decision upholding the right of public school children not to be compelled on pain of expulsion to salute the flag or recite the Pledge of Allegiance against their religious beliefs and consciences. Barnett, like Brown, overruled a prior atrocious pre precedent that had betrayed the Constitution. That case was in 1940. The court vindicated, in spectacular fashion, the fundamental constitutional rights to dissent, freedom of expression, and freedom for government-compelled affirmation. It is difficult to imagine modern America without Barnett's repudiation, and, and Barnett is arguably the greatest First Amendment decision of the Supreme Court of all time. Brown, Youngstown, and Barnett rank among the few true great Supreme Court decisions of our nation's history. Some early decisions of the Marshall Court, like McCullough versus Maryland, are foundational and important, but involve no heroic bravery or contested restoration of constitutional principle. There have been other crucial, correct cases through the years. One thinks of the prize cases, the court's important 1863 decision upholding Lincoln's, Lincoln's exercise of commander-in-chief powers during the Civil War. But such moments of Supreme Court greatness are truly rare. It is far easier to tick off rapidly a list of the Supreme Court's truly horrific, atrocious decisions. Dred Scott, Bradwell versus Illinois, Plessy, Giles versus Harris, Lochner versus New York, Berea College versus Kentucky, Debs versus United States, Buck versus Bell, and the list goes on and on. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992, obviously, and many, many more. Then to identify moments of extraordinary Supreme Court courage, conviction, and correctness in vindicating the Constitution and rescuing our nation's fundamental law from those who would betray it, including prior generations of judicial uh, justices. Inner Dobbs v. Jackson's Women Health Organization. Decided by the Supreme Court last Friday, Dobbs overruled Roe v. Wade's constitutionality defensible 
and morally atrocious creation of a non-existent constitutional right to abortion of the life of a human fetus throughout pregnancy, a constitutional right of some human beings to kill other human beings, to describe the holding of Roe bluntly but not unfairly. Dobbs overruled Planned Parenthood versus Casey even more the decision reaffirming Roe was not on the basis that it was right, but on the basis of a perverted version of the judicial doctrine of stare decisis and the court's desire to preserve its imagined image of infallibility, supremacy, and prestige. What, what the author means right there is in 1992, we had a chance, the court had a chance to overturn Roe. And instead, what did they do? They, they cited stare decisis, super precedent that was set in 1973. And they said, we are such a prestigious institution that no one before us could ever make a wrong, unconstitutional decision. And so we must be compelled to uphold the nonsense that was given to us in 1973. Now, that's me adding emphasis, obviously. But that's what happened in 1992. And then we fast forward to 2022. And the author goes further. Though we are too close to the Dobbs decision to evaluate it truly, and though the decision's full potential consequences have not yet been achieved and may never be, it remains possible to make an immediate judgment. Dobbs may be the most important, magnificent, rightly decided Supreme Court case of all time. It is as important as Brown v. Board of Education. It is as fundamental to the Constitution as Youngstown and Tube. It is as beautiful in its own way as Barnett. It is restorative of constitutional principle. It upholds the values of representative democratic self-government and the rule of law at the same time that it supports the protection of fundamental human rights. It is literally a matter of life and death. It is potentially transformative of American society for the better. It is a rare act of judicial courage and principle. In every way, Dobbs is truly a great decision. The, the author wrote last month about Justice Samuel Alito's leaked draft majority opinion for the court in Dobbs. Little of substance appears to have changed in the majority opinion from February's first draft to Friday's final product. All of what I said, all of what this author said in May applies to the opinion issued Friday. The Alito major, majority opinion is the masterpiece of judicial craft, uniting and bridging small differences among the court's five solid judicial conservatives, Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. It works to an extent within existing judicial doctrine, powerfully and overwhelmingly refuting Roe and Casey's holdings establishing a right to abortion, even if one were to accept the premises of the dubious, to put it mildly, doctrine of substantive due process. It thoroughly thrashes the notion that stare decisis requires the court to adhere even to bad law for the remains of imagined fidelity to the rule of law. The majority opinion in Dobbs, true to the draft, does an amazing, amazing job of persuading and refuting every legitimate constitutional argument. And it goes on and on and on. And so here, here's what we have. It, what happened on Friday is not anything new. The court has, in the past, rightly overturned precedent. But what we have with Roe is we didn't just overturn precedent. We overturned a, 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 a decision that actually allowed us to take the life of our neighbor. 
It was the right thing to do, even in chaotic times. And, and it truly is life or death. And more lives will be spared in our union because of the decision that was made on Friday. We'll talk more when we come back. So some of you may be listening today and you're going, man, that last segment was a lot of uh, legalese and, and attorney talk and court decisions. Look, we have to be a society that, that will recognize when, when we get it wrong. If we are not a society that, that's built on the notion that when we get things wrong, whether it be in the courts in the legislature, in Congress, in the executive branch, whatever that looks like, if we are not a society built on doing the right thing, even in a difficult time, and that, that when we get things wrong, we are going to right those wrongs, then, then our society will not be sustainable. And, and I've said it before on this show, we... America, the beauty that is the United States of America. There, there's a, a ton of things that we can point to that makes us that shiny city on a hill that the rest of the world look to, that, that people are beating down our borders to get in here. Why? Because it's the greatest country on the planet. And the freedoms that you find here are like none other. But there's something else that drives that. And it's because we're one of the few nations that, that look in the mirror and go, we missed it. We got this one wrong and we're going to correct that. Folks, we got slavery wrong and we corrected that. We got segregation wrong and we corrected that. We were mistreating our dis disabled neighbors, and we corrected that. We were mistreating our female citizens, and we corrected that with women's suffrage. And on Friday, we recognized that for 50 years, we were looking at the unborn as a not just a second-class citizen, but not as a citizen at all. For 50 years, we were saying the unborn weren't even human. They could just be discarded at will. And on Friday, we corrected that. Now the path forward isn't going to be an easy one. When the women's suffrage movement come in, you think the whole country was like, yeah, let's do this. No, it wasn't easy. You think when Brown versus Board of Education came and reversed Plessy, you think the country just went, yeah, let's, let's do this. We're all on board. No, it wasn't easy. I mean, you could just, if, if you like history, go look and see what the civil rights movement looked like. And you can see that that wasn't an easy move either. The Disabilities Act, you think businesses were just lining up to make things easier for our disabled brothers and sisters? No, of course they weren't. And the decision on Friday to overturn Roe 
It's not going to be easy. There's going to be folks that disagree strongly with it. And not just folks down the street from you, but political leaders that are currently in office. Political leaders that were in office just four, eight years ago. But as I said earlier, the right thing is the right thing, period. Full stop. Now, there's going to be folks, and it's already happened. I've been reached out to by a number of, of, of people, and I've had this question. I was at First Baptist Concord this past Sunday, and I had this question. I, I was interviewed by the Knox News Sentinel, and I had this question. I was interviewed by Channel 10 locally here, and I had this question. What does this mean moving forward? What does this mean for Hope Resource Center? And, and how do we define abortion? And you're going to hear people say, well, ectopic pregnancies. Now that if, if I have an ectopic pregnancy and I have to go and, and get a procedure done, is that not an abortion? And am I not going to be, uh, and is the doctor not going to be in trouble if, if I have that medical procedure? Listen to me, please. Abortion, the way we define it when it comes to Roe, is the intentional act to end a pregnancy. Either by pill or surgical procedure. An ectopic pregnancy typically can't be found until seven to eight weeks into the pregnancy. You're showing all signs of the pregnancy. Everything looks to be okay. And then you go in for an ultrasound. And while the ultrasound is being performed, there is a baby, but it's not where it's supposed to be. And typically, when we see that on an ultrasound screen, the baby is no longer living. And if you continue that without medical intervention, the mom's life is in danger. And so you need to go and see a doctor, go to the emergency room, and, and, and have a procedure done. That is not an abortion. Now, your medical chart may say, may even use the word abortion, but, but that's just because it's a medical term. Even when we think about spontaneous abortion or miscarriage, you didn't intentionally seek to end that pregnancy. My wife and I have dealt with a miscarriage. It's traumatic. It's terrible. We didn't intentionally seek to end that. It's heavy. But it wasn't an abortion. And so terminology is important. Conversations are important. We need to recognize there's going to be folks right now that, that have, have lived extreme pain in their lives, whether they're post-abortive, whether they've been raped, whether they've been abused by a family member. There's a lot of things that go into that. There's a lot of nuance here as we have these conversations. And, and, and there's part of us, if we're honest, we want to get on social media and we want to yell and we want to, we want to comment in all caps and we want to get in those comment threads and let people know just how angry and bitter and, and all of it, how right we are. Don't do that. If you want to engage with someone and you have a relationship with them, I would encourage you to send them a text, call them, reach out to them. I've done that a couple times this past weekend with, with people that I love. And we may disagree on a few things, but I love them, they love me, and we have that relationship and we can have those tough conversations and walk away still being friends and loving each other. And then there's going to be some folks you just can't do that with. And, and, they're going to, and maybe you are that folk that they can't do that with because you won't allow 
for a logical conversation because you're too angry. If that's you, work on your heart. That used to be me. I'm honest enough to admit that. Look, we, we believe that life has value. At its earliest stage. Science points to that, but, but my belief system isn't based in science. It's affirmed by science. But my belief system is based in a, in a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview that tells me there's a creator of the universe. That creator created humans. My biblical worldview also tells me that when Genesis 3 happened and, and the fall entered the world and sin entered the world, everything was fractured. And so when everything is fractured, we have brokenness around us. When everything is fractured, we have family members arguing with each other about these issues, politicians arguing with each other about these issues. When everything is fractured, a culture can't define a woman or a man or when life begins. And so we are at a moment in time where there's going to be a lot of people looking to us. Oh, what are those pro-lifers going to do now? What is the church going to do now? And instead of responding in hate and bitterness, what we're going to do is we're going to serve in love more than we've served and loved ever before. Because guess what? No one is adopting more kids than the church. No one is fostering more kids than the church. No one is helping single moms more than the church. No one is seeing that babies and orphans would be taken care of more than the church. No one is giving of their time and resources more than the church. So, and when I say the church, I'm saying capital C. Believers are stepping up. So you're going to hear some folks saying, well, the church would do this, the church would do this. Guess what? The church is doing a lot. The amount of text and messages that I received from pastors in our community over the last weekend is, I can't even begin to tell you how impactful that was on my life. And as I joined folks on Sunday at First Baptist Concord and had a chance to speak to that congregation and point them to the truth of the gospel and point them to the truth of what we're doing at Hope Resource Center. It gives us an opportunity to step in this moment because people are watching. Yeah, I've used this illustration before, and I used it over the weekend. I grew up on a farm, and my, we, we had a dog that chased every car that drove by. And my papa used to say, I wonder what that dog's going to do if it catches the car. Folks, that's been us for 50 years. We've been chasing, wanting to see Roe overturned, wanting to see life given the value that it deserves. We caught the car on Friday. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we prepared? Are we prepared to be a light in a dark place? Are we prepared to serve? Are we prepared to love? Are we prepared to adopt, to foster, to take in a single mom, to provide car seat, to provide pack and play, to provide mentoring and discipleship? Are we prepared? And I'm going to answer that for you right now. Yes. So let's get after it. We'll be back.
So as you finish up today, you know, I was, I was reminded on Sunday, while I was on stage with, with John Mark and, and others uh, at First Baptist Concord, my phone was in my, my coat pocket, and it was vibrating. And, and when, I, when I finished up and I went out in the lobby and I looked at my phone, I was reminded that four years ago to the day, I was standing on the steps of the Supreme Court talking into a microphone to a crowd of people on a, on a rainy day while folks on, on the other side, pro-abortion folks, were also standing on the Supreme Court yelling and screaming because I'm a dude talking about life. And I was reminded that four years ago to the day on Sunday, I was standing on the steps of the Supreme Court championing life and, 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 and telling people how great pregnancy centers are and that we don't take our, uh, our hope is not found in the court or the executive office or Congress. And then fast forward four years and I was sitting on a stage in Knoxville, Tennessee at one of the largest churches in the area, championing life, pointing people to the great work of pregnancy centers in a post-Roe era. Folks, th this, that's four years. There are some people that I know that have literally given their entire life to this work. So when you say things like, don't celebrate the ending of Roe, these people have given everything for it. You, you think the people that fought to end slavery were like, don't celebrate the ending. I'm pretty sure they celebrated. Like when we saw the, the end of the Holocaust and the Nazi regime, you don't think people celebrated? Of course we celebrated. We don't have to gloat. But we should celebrate. And... and and I was thinking over the weekend how this was an Ebenezer moment for us. Now, what do I mean by that? June 24th, 2022 is an Ebenezer moment. In the Old Testament, we see Samuel describe this clearly as he takes time to remind the people of God's faithfulness. 1 Samuel 7, 12 says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Samuel didn't do this so people would remember God's intervening for a few hours or a couple of days. No, this Ebenezer was to be a reminder for generations to come that God hears and answers prayers. This is how I feel about Friday's Supreme Court decision. This is our moment to raise an Ebenezer for generations to know that God heard and answered our prayers. Rose overturning is a beautiful reminder of the importance of consistent and faithful prayers. I know that so many of you have done that for us. You have prayed at your home, in your small group, in our counseling rooms, and in our parking lot. Your prayers were heard and answered, and the love and support has been overwhelming. There will be time for discussion and strategy for a post-Roe era, but today we celebrate, and you can celebrate with us. And you can celebrate in a number of ways. You can celebrate by partnering with us, by praying with us, by giving I recommend it to, to our partners that why don't you give $6.24 June 24th or $624 or $6,240. 
to mark this as an Ebenezer moment. You know, we have said that January is Sanctity of Life Month. I, I think we need to change that. Maybe June. We definitely need to recognize June 24th, 2022, as a day that will be in the history books. You know, I've, I've said it before that, that one day Roe would be a footnote in a history book. And if you go to Wikipedia right now, it says Roe was. Roe was. Not Roe is. Roe was. And then they talk about the case because it was. It no longer is. Think about that. And I'm going to be honest. You know, when, when I took this job seven years ago at Hope, I longed for this day, and I would say things like, yeah, I think it's going to happen in my lifetime. Did I truly believe that, that it would happen this quick? Yeah, probably not, because I've been conditioned to be disappointed, if I'm honest. But here we are, post-Row era. We've already seen the difference that it's made. Now the question is, are we prepared? Folks, we caught the car. Let's continue the work. We love you and we appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week.